Hey guys, Taylor here from Game Devs Quest with this week's quick tip. Are you making a pixel art game in Unity and the sprites are kind of blurry? Try this. Click on the sprite, set filter mode to point no filter, set compression to none. Your sprite should no longer be blurry. Everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Game Devs Quest, your once-weekly podcast following two game dev scrubs in the game devdom. If we can do it, you can too. I'm Rhett. I'm Taylor. What's up, everybody? I was laughing because me and Rhett have been talking about games uh, for like probably 30 minutes before the podcast, and right as we clicked record, I saw a free-to-play RPG called Jesus Christ RPG Trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> And I have no idea what it's about, but it sounds intriguing. Well, it was like, uh, I don't, never mind. I don't know. I remember seeing like a Mario clone or something. What was it? Was it a Mario Dude. clone? Or maybe it was a uh, double dragon clone or something, but it was called like, maybe it wasn't even a clone, but a Nintendo game called Pussy City Pimps. Oh <laughs> you remember my, that? yeah. You said that all the time. <laughs> it's so funny. Like... Uh. I, just, I just think that's the funniest fucking thing. Uh. Well, I'm looking at this Jesus Christ RPG trilogy. Um, it got very positive reviews, and one of the screenshots shows this like first-person view of these fly things, and it has a name tag next to it called Lord of the Flies Beelzebub. <laughs> And then, and then there's like this overworld view where you're like walking around the desert with a party and you're clearly Jesus. So <laughs> very uh, positive reviews. Yeah. Uh, uh, all, there is 1136 reviews. Uh, here's a negative ones. Here's a negative review. I lost all my money in Bitcoin. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> uh, here's one from Liliana. Um, Point three hours on record. The Witcher is Wait. shit. This is the best RPG game. <laughs> dude, dude, most helpful reviews. Top one. Jesus. <laughs> Good representation of my life. Really like it. <laughs> Here's one. Not recommended. I'm not sure how, but after downloading this game and running a malware scan, this game picked up and promptly and promptly deleted. My computer must be too evil to run such a holy game. Also, the game is bad. <laughs> uh, recommended. It's your boy, Satan. <laughs> this game Wait, turned oh. me to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Not recommended. Couldn't multiply the bread and fish that I bought. <laughs> oh, God. Amazing. It looks kind of like a JRPG, too, which is interesting. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Jesus Christ, Mary Magdalene, Simon Peter, Apo oh, oh, their classes, yeah. yeah. Messiah, anointer, apostle, traitor. <laughs> yeah, one of the screenshots shows Jesus Christ, level 10, Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Iscariot. Or Jesus Iscariot. Judas. Uh, this is the second time I said it wrong. Judas Iscariot, traitor. <laughs> 
Wow. All right, dude. Yeah. So as you can yeah. see, we've kind of uh, run the gamut of options of games we can play. It, <laughs> we've been talking looks... about getting Neverwinter, which just came out, or the new Neverwinter Nights, uh, what is it, Redux or yeah, whatever? Yeah, Enhanced Edition. Yeah. But I'm too much of a cheapskate to pay 19.99, so <laughs> so we've been brainstorming for the last 30 minutes. Dude, I'm just going to buy it for you. No, nah, don't do that. Why? Because I don't want you to spend your money on me. <laughs> it's $20, bro. I know, bro. I don't know. I may, I'll get it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, it's, damn, though. All the recommendations are negative on top there. Ooh, it just came um, out, so you never know. Maybe it's Reviews is mostly positive. However, the top ones are negative. This guy has 27 hours on it. For Neverwinter Nights Enhanced... Uh, first, let me say this version of the game is really only for multiplayer. As the team has said multiple times, they believe the core of the game is multiplayer. As someone who never stopped playing Neverwinter Nights, I can say I'm very disappointed in this project product. Uh, the game always ran fine for me, even before this enhanced edition. What gets me is that this is supposedly an enhanced edition of the game. However, all the enhancements are so small and would have been so easy to implement. Post-graphical effects are very easy to implement, and it seems that this is... Uh, the only real feature they added. And out of these effects, the depth of field is broken, blurring everything that's not directly around your character. The enhanced UI is incredibly lazy. It's broken. Sure, they say they will be improving the UI in the future, but as it's being sold now, and this is a feature listed on the storefront, it's terrible. You can absolutely increase the size of the UI by times two. However, this makes parts of the UI display outside the screen and is incredibly unprofessional and unpolished. It makes sense how little of the game they have enhanced when you see that new portraits are considered way too big of a feature to be included as an enhancement in the enhanced edition of the game. And must be instead sold as a day one DLC. I love Beaten Dog's last enhanced editions, but this one really has left a sour taste. Huh. Um, well, yeah, lots of people saying, pretty much saying, like, yeah, it's great, like, you know, multiplayer, blah, 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 but it's not really enhanced. Uh, eh, yeah, I don't the really, next review. All I want to do is just play Neverwinter Nights multiplayer, so. Yeah, I'm really wondering care. if the Diamond Edition can be played online. Because if so, we should just get the Diamond Edition on good old games for 10 bucks. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. We'll check yeah. it out. We'll do yeah. some research here. Sounds good. So I've definitely... I, I own the Diamond Edition on good old games because uh, I've played it a lot in land settings. But Yeah, um, I think that was the only time I maybe ever played it was when we land it. Yeah, it's definitely a fun land game. Me and Lee, for a while, when he lived by me, I would go to his house with my laptop and we'd play We'd play Neverwinter Nights every Saturday morning. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's the best, man. Like, just having a, a ritual like me and Danny going mm -hmm. through Divinity Original Sin 2. I, like, hardly I'm... ever play games, but we put 31 hours into it over the last couple months, you know? Yeah, it's so, great, man. Yeah, oh, it's... and that's that's probably part of why I'm so taken with Dungeons & Dragons right now. And I know everybody's like, 5e is shit, and that's fine. You're entitled <laughs> to your opinion. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know who you are. No. <laughs> uh, but uh, I've been playing so much 5e lately, and, and the fact that I have a routine time to play it and a schedule that's... Um, predictable and all this sort of stuff i th i think that really has helped me get into the flow with it and in fact um this past week we're getting ready to take a break from our main campaign which can be listened to weekly on chaoticamateurs.com mm. 
um, we're getting ready to take a break from our main campaign and kind of shift the DM to somebody else and do a limited story arc from a different perspective. And so um, the DM who's taken over, he's really spec, he really uh, specified that he wants one intelligence based character, one dexterity based character, one melee based strength based character. So, you know, like a ba- basically it would be like a fighter, then a ranger and like a wizard probably is kind of what we're looking at. Although there's a lot of flexibility in there, but I didn't want to play a wizard because well, I get stuck in this mode of optimizing, right? And I don't know how much you're familiar with D&D, Taylor, but, you know, gnomes get an intelligence bonus <laughs> and thus make really, really great wizards. And wizards are the only intelligence-based class. Mm-hmm. Um, other spellcasters are, like, charisma-based and stuff like that. So I think druids are wisdom-based. Could be wrong. But anyway, um, so I started looking, and it's like, man – these gnomes, rock gnomes, have this really cool tinker ability, but it's not explored in the handbook at all. It's this idea that they can make these little uh, clockwork contraptions, you know, like little wind-up toys or like a music box, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, what a missed opportunity that this isn't explored more. And so I started looking, and yes, there's actually a lot of people who agree and have tried to make their own homebrew content to bring essentially a tinker class into existence uh, a tinker or like a, a, me- a mechanist class as some people have taken to calling it and so i read up on a bunch of people's homebrew content tried to find something that could just work right off the bo- right off the page but they a lot of them just don't quite, I think, fulfill it. So I set out on my own to make my own tinker class. And uh, I got to say, Taylor, it's really freaking hard to do <laughs> because you don't want anything to just be overpowered, right? You want it very balanced. You don't want it underpowered. And of course, my DM is saying, well, look, it's just a short story arc and it's going to, it's not really, you know, um, uh, we can adjust the roles or however we need to make it more balanced on the fly if we got to. So, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect, but I, I've just been trying to find that right balance. Mm-hmm. And, dude, it's it's really hard. So <laughs> you got to really hand it to the people behind those games that are constantly being balanced. Like Wizards of the Coast, they do that with Magic the Gathering and with Dungeons & Dragons. Right. They're constantly tweaking it to find that right balance. It's impressive. Well, dude, in any game, like finding the right balance of um, being enough of a challenge yet fun to play is is kind of crazy. Like there's so many numbers involved. Like, So I started reading Blood, Sweat, and Pixels uh, yeah. again. I got like halfway through the book since last week. And uh, I was reading the section on um, Diablo 3 and... Like, for those of you guys that don't know, I didn't know this until I read it, but Diablo 3 was kind of a flop when it uh, first came out. There was a lot of of things people didn't like. Um, But what happened was they ported it to console and revamped a lot of the systems, um, partially because they were porting it to console. And one of the things they were talking about was... um, how they were changing like the difficulty modes. Um, Like normally, you know, Diablo does the whole, uh, I don't know what, what 
each of the modes are called, but it basically goes up through like nightmare. Each time you beat the game, you go into the next highest difficulty and so on. And they um, decided to revamp that in Diablo 3 expansion um, because of a lot of the complaints. And they were just talking about how cha- or how much work it was to go through and like mess with all of the numbers. Like, because they spend so much time, like, tweaking everything, like, different enemies' attacks and drops and all these different percentages. And, like, thinking about balancing all that stuff just sounds so challenging. And I run into that with some of my games being tiny little games, you know, where I have to change, like, five numbers to, you know, different random percentages and stuff. And even that's challenging. I can't imagine testing and playing games that are, you know, dozens of hours long trying to make well, sure that everything feels right. <laughs> read the change logs in Dota 2 every once in a while. Oh, God. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's always an issue of, of not only finding the right balance, but finding the right scale as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Because, you know so much of that game. I mean, I just imagine if you have one number off and all you know, Andy Mage gets to level fucking 20 or whatever the cap is. Yeah. And uh, 25. And all of a sudden it's like the way it scales. It's like, yeah, he gets to level 25 and he's unkillable now. So congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and 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 I always remember you guys, and I hadn't really been aware of this until playing Dota, but, um, you guys always talking about like the meta game, uh, each patch, it's like a whole new game almost. Oh, absolutely. Off, based off of those tiny little tweaks, which is, um, in a way, like it makes me a little bit sad, you know, because you get used to the game the way that it is currently. But then at the same time, those little tweaks like make it more replayable and just different think, enough to make it interesting. Right, and I it, what's what's. I think most difficult about that is that it's a double-edged sword, right? It's actually the number one reason why I haven't gotten back into playing Dota 2 is because, well, I'm so far out of the loop. There are several new heroes. There are so many new items. There's all of this stuff, and in order for me to get caught up in it, it's going to be another steep learning curve, which I don't really want to go through again. Uh, I know. (laughs) And. You know, I've, I've said that if we have 10 people, I will gladly play it, but that's the only time. And, you know, and that's what keeps the game fresh, though. It's those minute changes constantly. And then the big changes every once in a while. And you can keep playing it because it constantly shifts the metagame. And unfortunately, it has to be done because, I mean, could you imagine playing 2,000 hours of Dota 2 where the metagame is the same over and over? Like, you wouldn't even get 2,000 hours. Right. You'd be like, okay, well, the first person to pick that top hero wins. So... (laughs) <laughs> what kind of a game is that? You know, right. yeah, you get really bored of it really quick. You'd seen the same strategies over and over and over because those same strategies have been proven to be super effective. Right. Well, and that's what makes watching those kind of games so fun is because every time you see a tournament, the picks are different and the play styles are different because of the way that the the changes have impacted the game. Right. So, yeah, dude. Super interesting. Sorry I hijacked yeah. what you're talking about. I'm sure it's probably, um, well, I don't know exactly how it is in, in Dungeons & Dragons, but like I know when I'm playing RPGs, I spend a lot of time, because, God, there's so much to read. 
Right. You got to understand how the system works before you pick what points you put your skills into or whatever, you know? Right. So. Which is probably part of why I'm so fond of D&D 5th edition right now is because I've put the time in to actually discover the nuances and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, there's a lot of other reasons. But yeah, you're right. I mean, imagine playing Divinity and you go, I don't really like any of the classes that are here. I'm going to build my own class. But it has to be fair. It has mm-hmm. to be right. balanced. Yeah. <laughs> That's the same level of, of you know, uh, commitment to detail that I've taken on, apparently. Yeah. And I admit, it's not going to be perfect. And in fact, I'm sure that if I even published my Tinker class online, people would look at it and just be irritated as hell. <laughs> uh, but honestly, I feel the same way about everybody else's Tinker builds. I think that they're extraordinarily limiting compared to, you know, and I'm kind of just looking at juxtaposing a wizard class and changing the way that it operates to being like constructs that you build, you know, Mm -hmm. items that you can use. So instead of like a breathe water spell, it would be a device that basically is imbued with the same properties that, you know, is just flavored differently with text, right? Rather than a spell and magic (laughs) and you're breathing, it's a device you put in your mouth and you can swim. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm looking at doing. So it's not overly complicated, but it is. there is a fine balance of like, well, okay, wizards cast that spell, and then that spell slot's depleted. So how do you find that balance if this guy can just keep it in his pocket? You know? Yeah, right. Man, it seems like D&D has just like limitless possibilities. Absolutely. And I think that's what's fun about all pen and paper RPGs, is that they really do have limitless possibilities. And that's what's a lot of actual game systems have sort of seized upon that idea that once you have the base rules, the players and the DM can just make up anything. And and as long as it follows the rules and is consistent to the players, Mm -hmm. then that's all that matters. As long as it's consistent to the people that you're playing with. Right. And that was the first, when I realized that when I first got into pen and paper RPGs, that's what really actually got me into it. Because I always thought that the world of Faerun or Forgotten Realms or the D&D world as it is, I always thought that was extraordinarily limiting. I always thought like, well, I don't want to play these races. I don't want to play these classes. I want to play something else, but you don't have to, you know, if your DM wants to work with you or you know better, you know how to do it. You can make your own class like I'm doing. You can create your own items. You know, I remember playing Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and wanting to have a certain type of sword that wasn't listed in the rule book. And my and somebody, maybe my brother or someone was just like, well, yeah, we'll just you can use that weapon and describe what it looks like and we'll just give it stats. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I didn't know I could do that. I thought I had to play by the rules of the game. He's like, yeah, well, the rules of the game state that as long as it's reasonable, you can do it. Right. So. But some systems have been developed around that concept, such as GURPS, which I think is, it's like generic universal role-playing, right? A role-playing system. Yeah. And it's just a generic system that you can use to then play any themed adventure. You could do like a cyberpunk. You could do a space adventure. You could do magic, high fantasy, you know, uh, you could do any of that type of stuff. Right. It's like you have the, you have the system, you kind of paint the, uh, theme basically right exactly yeah yeah yeah. that's super cool yeah well and i mean so many games today uh video games 
use D and D. Like that's like the inspiration. You know, it's basically like the Lord of the Rings of fantasy games or whatever. You know. Oh, absolutely. So. I mean, most people can't even name another pen and paper RPG, right? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. And for me, D and D is not my favorite, but the D the D twenty system that it's established is pretty much kind of like the gold standard. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten simpler over the years, which is a lot of people have a problem with the fifth edition. But but I think that's part. I think that's part of why it's so popular, though, is because now it has a wider appeal. It has a wider range of people that can enjoy playing it without investing six months to read the freaking rule book. God, yeah, I know. That's like. I was talking to somebody, I can't remember who it was, about how me and Alia, like, we have a bunch of board games, and I don't know if I told you that I bought, um, oh shoot, I'm going to blank on what it's called now. Uh, we bought a game recently, it's like a kind of a deck deck building game um, that, uh, it just has like the thickest rule book, and we've tried playing it one day, and we watched like a video on how to play it. Oh, it's Arkham Horror is the game. Oh, right. Um, okay. God, and I've been wanting to play it for so long, but like that day that we sat down and we started reading the rule book and we watched like a video, we probably spent almost two hours trying to, to learn it and we weren't even like a third of the way through the rule book. I was like, See, uh, I don't know. And I, I feel bad because I love tabletop games, mm-hmm. but I, I almost can't stand playing them anymore because everybody's got a collection of like a dozen or more games and it's like well what game do you want to play and it's like okay well no matter what we pick we're going to spend 90 minutes going over the rules <laughs> right and you know me dude i mean yeah these these last like 10 years of my life i cannot stand to sit there and go page by page line <laughs> by line over the rule book i know you know yeah. that's kind of uh, even video games man when you get into a video game and it's a tutorial right off the I bat know. Yep. i can't care less i know just here, let man. me play the fucking game yeah. let me press buttons and figure it out yeah and then if six months down the road i find out oh shit here's this basic trick that i should have known from the start wow this game got a lot more fun now <laughs> you know <laughs> right that's kind of the beauty of a lot of games i think old school games in particular is that mm-hmm. You figure out the tips and tricks on your own, and it's a lot more rewarding. Right. You know, I think I told you about the time when I turned... I mean, it's like, I can't believe I got through the intro of Metal Gear Solid Five. Yeah. <laughs> it was one... Of, I mean, it was interesting, but it should have just been a damn video that I watched, because mm-hmm. I would have had more enjoyment sitting there and watching the video happen for an hour, rather than playing this guy who's crawling across the fucking floor, <laughs> who can't move any faster or do anything... You know, yeah. and it's like, yeah, I built up the tension and established the world. But same with The Witcher. I put on The Witcher. Remember, I think I said this in the same episode where I played The Witcher and all. It's just I couldn't understand what was happening for the longest time. <laughs> and I was playing the tutorial and I was like, OK, well, <laughs> I know maybe maybe I'll come back to this. I had the same problem with The Witcher. I, I have The Witcher 1 and The Witcher 2. And like the tutorial for The Witcher 1 was just like I didn't really get the fighting mechanics. And I just yeah. like. It just wasn't fun. So I was like, eh. Yeah, I couldn't care about Witcher 1 or 2. Yeah. But with 3 was so critically acclaimed. I know, yeah. Makes me really want to play it, but it's going to be a while. Right. Well, I I got it on a good sale. I still haven't even beaten Skyrim, so. (laughs) Well, but that's the beauty of those games, I think, is like the Elder Scrolls and even Fallout, is that the fun of the game isn't in beating them. 
Yeah, no, it's I, true. I've never actually beat an Elder Scrolls game. I beat Oblivion main, yeah. main quest. You but... beat Oblivion main quest and then came to school and you were like, wow, I'm completely disappointed in that main quest. And I said, <laughs> I'll never make that mistake. <laughs> uh, dude, I still put in a ton of hours into Oblivion, though. That was a good game. Me too. I mean, I have over a thousand hours in Morrowind, and I've never beaten Morrowind. I could tell you exactly how it ends, but yeah. <laughs> I've never beaten it right. <laughs> personally. Yeah. yeah, I also like. I've been talking for a long time about um, playing Pillars of Eternity, and I have played it a, like a decent amount. But I just like sometimes to play single player games, it takes a lot for me to do it, and especially those games that that are like, you know, sixty hours long or whatever. It's just hard to justify the time. Um, I was talking, I think, last week about Anodyne, uh, which is the game I've been playing. And I don't have that many hours into it, maybe like three or four. And it's just nice like, to go through and have like a game that I could just pick up and put back down like anytime I really want. And, right. and know that the end is in sight like the whole time I'm playing. Like, right. And I'm, I don't know. It's not that I don't enjoy these grand games. Like obviously Divinity has been my favorite series recently and those are massive games but it's just especially with uh, RPGs I like playing them with people more yeah um, it is cool to have like this epic single player experience but like I already don't spend enough time with my friends <laughs> so if I'm gonna take that time that I could be spending with like my wife or my friends, and put it towards this massive single-player RPG. I just feel like it's kind of a waste a little bit. So It depends. See, for me, I have found that the, the single-player experience has actually brought me back into games. Yeah, I know I was you've pretty said that. Jaded. I was pretty jaded after playing Dota for so long. And, <laughs> yeah. And there is something to be said, I think, about a cooperative experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But then your expectations of how the night go and, and, and the actual results of that are tied with someone else's attitude and somebody else's. And I'll be the first to say, it's not like I'm completely above having a freaking meltdown, you know, (laughs) uh, over a game. It's happened to me before. It's happened to everybody. Mm -hmm. And, but it's a lot nicer when you can get pissed off at the game and not ruin somebody else's night. And also, where you can play the game and not have your night ruined by somebody else. Right. You know, it's like the older I've gotten, the more, you know, it's like, remember when we used to have the weekly Dota nights or even Uh Counter-Strike and you're looking forward to it all week and you put so much hope and expectation into that (laughs) that when it doesn't go the way that you envisioned, it's, Mm -hmm. it's really, really disheartening. Yeah. Well, I think for me, the difference is with those games, um, it's competitive even if you don't play the competitive mode, it still is competitive. And like, you're relying on your teammates to do particular things. But, um, for like co-op, if you play co-op RPGs, there's much less like at stake, you know, um, with like divinity. I mean, me and Danny run into frustrations with the game or, um, you know, certain battles are really hard to, to, to win but especially with that game it being turn-based we can at least like discuss the possibilities and plan things out together and so there is that strategizing 
that you get with like Dota and things like that, but it's at a much slower pace with smaller t- stakes. Yeah. Um, you know, and you could save whenever you want. So if you just, if you mess up and wish you didn't do something a certain way, worst thing that happens is you die and you reload. Um, yeah. So I find that really enjoyable, but I get what you're saying too. Like, um, not having the experience turn into just a negative thing because a certain person was in a bad mood or, well, you know, you know, I had the torchlight series ruined for me when torchlight two came out and I bought it full price. And I was so excited because torchlight one was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And my first time playing torchlight two was multiplayer with a couple friends. And I may, you might've been there, but I think it was maybe not you. It might've been Jason and my old roommate. And well, my old roommate had already poured like 40 or 50 fucking hours into the game. <laughs> and I was excited to get involved with it and all this stuff. So he was like, yeah, come play with me. I'll start over. We can just see what happens. And so I did. And it's like, we just had separate flows for how we play those types of games. And it ended up leading to a full-blown argument. And my experience was actually plagued with technical issues and all of this stuff. Like, I kept getting locked in certain zones oh. and mm-hmm. and not being able to leave. So, I'd have to reload the game and get back in it. And it's like, he didn't believe me. So, he was getting, like, really short sight, Like, short... Uh, he was getting really short with me about, well, just find the door and go through it. It's like, okay, it's not fucking working, dude. Like, yeah. what do you want me to say? And anytime I wanted to go off and explore the whole map in a certain way, he was getting really short with me. It's like, we need to explore the whole map. <laughs> I, I, like, what do you want me? This is how I play these games. So yeah. if you don't like it, just keep going. <laughs> oh, we can't. You're holding us back, you motherfucker. It's like, okay, I'm never playing this again. I mean, it led to a huge <laughs> argument and it wasn't worth it to me, you know? And granted that's not every experience right and i think it's a lot different when you're playing turn-based things and you're also playing with people who you agree with just in terms of their sensibilities and the way that their mind works it's a lot easier right yeah um but yeah i don't know yeah dude i feel you there it can definitely be i've been the nice thing about games now though like those ones that are kind of have a short storyline quest like Oblivion, a prime example. Skyrim, kind of a prime example. Fallout 3, I accidentally beat once by stumbling it to the end of the game um, and not realizing. I skipped the entire main quest. But <laughs> <laughs> but there's those types of games that's like great because people who are interested, they can have that experience and they can close out the game and be done with it. But it is fun when those types of games, because they are so massive in general, um, like I remember that was the reason I didn't play Fallout 3 for so long was because people complained how short the main quest was mm-hmm. to me I'm not a main quest doer and, and I never really have been I'm always way more enjoy enjoying the side quests and the exploring the world and seeing what that means and so it's fun when a game has that path to the end and I've, and I've discovered this a little bit more in recent years because then you can end it and you can put it behind you but then if you want and you have time or you have the desire you can go off on the side and explore things and I, right. that's why I've had so much fun with Metal Gear Solid 5 lately is because I could just blast through the game if I wanted to right people have said it doesn't take that long um, but it's fun because I can do as much of the game as I want but I can also go back and replay main quest missions and retry to do them to get a higher score. And I can try to find items that I missed, or I can try to explore a different way to do it. 
and it offers a lot of replayability in that sense while also allowing a person to complete it and get that closure. Huh. Yeah, I haven't actually... I mean, I think I played Metal Gear Solid on PlayStation, whatever was yeah, on Yeah, number there. one. It's a yeah. way different game. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, so you can actually go... You, like, choose a mission, and you can just redo it. So in Metal Gear Solid Five, the game takes place in kind of like a big overworld map. There's two separate overworld maps, one in Africa, one in Afghanistan. Uh-huh. And they're free roam, and you have a base that exists in, like, a completely different zone. It's, like, uh-huh. out in the ocean, and you take a helicopter between your ocean base and the playable map. And your helicopter is, like, also kind of your mission base. And you can accept missions from anywhere and then take the helicopter to the mission zone. And so, yeah, you can accept – there's tons of side missions. It'll be like, yeah, go kill these five soldiers or go rescue these five soldiers. Go rescue these prisoners. Go stop these tanks from getting here. Go clean up these mines. Go find this interpreter. You know, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can select those from the menu – because basically, I guess the idea of the game is that you are a mercenary group that accepts contracts from people. Okay. And a lot, of, and the main mission plays out that same way, where you have a goal to stop or impede this other mercenary organization, and a lot of the main missions stem around taking contracts that will do that, or will gotcha. further will get you closer to information you need to stop that rival mercenary group. I don't know if it this is the right comparison, but it kind of reminds me of uh, Shadow of Mordor, um, which, by yeah. the way, is super fun. Um, you know how... Have you played it? Yeah. Um, you know how there's like the um, hierarchy of orcs that you yeah. can go through and like you try and go assassinate a leader? Absolutely. And there's like all these different leaders. And when you do that, they like shift hierarchies. Yeah. It, that part is so fun because like it does help you in progressing in the game, but you could pretty much just do that endlessly. Like yeah. <laughs> just going out and fighting giant hordes of orcs. Like it I don't know. I really enjoyed that, Absolutely. that aspect it's, of the game. It's the sandbox. Yeah. And and that's what's kind of fun about it. And yeah, and actually, I, I made the comparison to Shadow of Mordor with Metal Gear Solid Five a couple times. More accurately, I kind of made the comparison between this game called Mercenaries. Mm-hmm. Which, I remember you. You used to play that all the time. Oh, God, the game was so fun. And it has what I consider like the precursor to the Nemesis system, although it's not a nemesis AI system at all where, you know, you're describing the hierarchy and killing the orcs and how the it shifts. And if you beat them and they don't die, they run away and they escape. They remember that they remember getting their ass whipped or yeah. if they beat you, they get stronger and right. they remember like, Oh <laughs> man. Oh, I thought I killed you. Now I'm going to kill you for real bitch. You know, yeah. they have a memory about you. <laughs> yeah. And that's fun. Well, mercenaries had this idea of, they called it the deck of 52. And I think it was actually taken from the real, um, uh, second Gulf war where they put bounties on the the top 52 people in oh, Al-Qaeda right. or whatever. Yeah, the deck of cards. Yeah. My you grandma know? bought that for me. <laughs> oh, my like, God. Like, so that's... weird. Like, uh, huh. I guess <laughs> uh, Saddam Hussein and, uh, oh, what was his name? The other... Osama? The other, Osama bin, bin Laden. Laden are, like, the aces. 
there's yeah. two other guys too but it's like yeah. wow exactly and that's the where mercenaries had that system where you would progress around this gigantic open world map similar to shadow of mordor and you would earn um resources to develop better guns or better vehicles or better whatever and you take missions the whole point being to go after the deck of 52 and claim those bounties oh, okay that's cool and it, and Metal Gear Solid Five is kind of the same way, where you traverse around this big map, just like Shadow of Mordor, mm-hmm. um, but there's not necessarily... I mean, I guess there are leaders, but they're not known to you, really, unless it's, like, mission-specific. Mm-hmm. But you travel around, you gather resources, you get blueprints to make better weapons, you um, attract personnel to join your mercenary band, kind of, like, off the scenes, and... You know, it's and it's completely sandbox. Like, if I wanted to, when I'm doing a mission, I could call my helicopter in and have them just, like, strafe the battlefield up and down with rockets and a Gatling gun. <laughs> or I could go in and sneak and not alert a single person. Or I could go in with grenade launchers and just blow the place up, you know? Yeah. It's it's exactly, you know, like that. And I think uh, Shadow Mordor is actually a pretty good comparison. Even though they're not, like, I wouldn't consider them the same at all. Mm-hmm. But there is kind of that similar sensibility. Yeah. Nice, dude. So, and that's what's fun about it. You do the main missions, and even though now the main mission is behind you, you can go back and say, I want to do that mission again, and the game just allows you to do it. Uh, That is cool. I like that. And the level design in that game is actually really extraordinary. It's actually really reminded me how much I really enjoy Japanese games. Hmm. You know, because we play a lot of American games. It's like, you know, Mass Effect or any of those bio like bioware is the big one i think of as like one of my favorite studios even though they've kind of gone downhill lately they make really amazing really engrossing games dragon age mass effect kotor right um neverwinter nights and they're a lot of fun but then the the japanese games where they have them beat is like the they one of my favorite part aspects of games is like the collection aspect right yeah i think it's like what stardew valley does so well even though it's an american-made game it really captures that japanese idea of grinding and of collecting and of leveling up and all of that type of stuff right Mm -hmm. i remember one of my favorite games is the armored core series where you go around and you pilot a big mech in these missions and you get money and you can buy new parts for your mech, you know, new legs, new arms, new head, new power generator, new radar dish, new uh, back mounted weapons, new hand weapons, new jet thrusters that get better efficiency, right? All of this type of stuff. Um, and then you can paint it however you want or you can paint, you know, and that's what Metal Gear Solid Five captures so well. It's like you go around collecting things and customizing things <laughs> you know it's so mm-hmm. fun that way yeah totally uh yeah dude now we've been talking about games for like an hour and a half now i just feel like playing right <laughs> we should and I that's know. what the else they do so so well i think is like this idea of like mini games that deter- like that that add to the overall playing experience but can just be completely enjoyed on their own like dude final fantasy 7 put so many hours into that one of the most fun aspects of it is completely unrelated to the game at all it's raising chocobos oh uh, yeah chocobos yeah chocobos. raising the birds and breeding them to get the golden chocobo so that then you can go get the most powerful spell in the game yeah. you know and it's only reachable with the golden chocobo mm-hmm. <laughs> um 
You know, and then I remember, do you remember for GameCube, Sonic Adventure 2 Battle? Not uh, specifically. Okay. Well, anyway, Sonic Adventure 2, it was a really great game in my mind because it just had, like, as a kid, I think I played it at the perfect age where it had all these variants and missions and there was a storyline and some of the characters played these types of missions where you go around a three-dimensional map and you try to find certain items. The other ones are, are like a race and you're just going as fast as you can through a course, basically. And the game storyline in my mind was pretty epic, even though I bet if I replayed it, it'd be boring. But as you play in each mission, there are these collectible little animals that you find. And there's these collectible power-ups that you find. And I never understood what they were for, but it turns out you can breed these little animals in this, in this like secondary part of the game. And there's two maps. There's like this, or actually there's three. There's like the regular map, then there's like the heavenly map, and then there's like the hellish map. And there's these little rooms where you store these animals and you breed them. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you breed them and they get different characteristics and then you fight them in an arena. Oh jeez. In <laughs> or Sonic? You... Yes, this is Sonic <laughs> Adventure 2. <laughs> uh, wow. That's you not can, what I would expect. You can then have them fight or you can have them race. <laughs> <laughs> and the power-ups, they'll like you can give it to them, and they'll eat it, and then maybe their different parts of their body mutate. And you, maybe you have one animal that's like a rabbit, and you have another animal that's like a lizard or something, and they breed together, and they produce one, or maybe they just combine or whatever. I don't remember exactly how it goes, but you can breed them together, and then it combines them so that it has like the feet of the rabbit and runs really fast, but it's got like the arms of a lizard or the <laughs> face of a lizard or whatever. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you know and so each type of thing gives it different advantages so it might be really good at fighting or it might be really good at racing you know yeah oh god dude that's funny yeah kind of sounds like spore almost yeah a little bit where you're like okay i'm gonna put legs on this creature and see how it does roaming around oh that didn't work maybe add more legs i don't know yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah dude and then yeah it's just so fun. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So that's why I've been playing Metal Gear Solid Five. <laughs> nice man. Um Wow. So forty minutes based off of our conversation about RPGs. <laughs> about Jesus Christ RPG. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot about that. Uh yeah, it's free to play. We're gonna have to play it, dude. <laughs> no. No. Um, well, this week I had a good time working on the logger game I've been working on. I've been trying to brainstorm ideas for the name, but I finally basically got, um, some cool mechanics in there where, um, now you can chop down all the trees, uh, and, and collect the lumber for it. You can plant trees. Uh, the coolest thing I think that I did was, um, making it so that the trees will grow. So they have like a whole life cycle. Um, nice. where, where they grow on their own. Um, and it's like not anything crazy. It's basically just like they have a certain state um, starting as like a seed, a tiny little tree, and then growing all the way to large. And and there's just a random number that gets picked um, between like 60 and 90 seconds or something. Um, and then they just, once they hit that number, they like grow and it just increases like their the amount of lumber they produce it changes their animations that happen um so like when they're blown in the wind it's you know the bigger animation um 
and so that was pretty cool. That feels nice. They even will die randomly. There's a there's a small percentage that they'll die on their own, which I kind of think is cool. Um, now, like a lot of the main mechanics are are getting there for like how you control your players and stuff. Um, but I have to f- to figure out like the whole flow of the game, like the whole game loop, basically. So that's one of the next th- next things. Um, but God, the to-do list is just massive. I've been doing tons of pixel art, like having to animate five different states of trees blowing in the wind and also falling down was like probably 10 hours of drawing. (laughs) Uh, so that took a lot of time. Um, but it's cool. I'm getting, I'm getting, uh, closer. I already missed the one game a month deadline. So it's official that I've, uh, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but I'm really excited. I think giving, giving it another like two months or so, I should have a pretty, uh, polished game that I'm hoping will be out on Google play. Um, fun. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I really hope that if I get all of the main mechanics and stuff down, I can just, I can make different levels in different, um, environments. Like, you know, maybe one is in the like the desert area or something like that. So the trees are much more or much less, uh, less common. Um, you know, and, and also I thought it'd be kind of cool to be able to customize the, the logger and the planter. Like maybe you can choose to have them female or male or, um, you know, make them look different ways, which would be kind of neat. Um, also want to add a bunch of, animal events so like um right now i have an eagle that flies by i think it'd be kind of cool if birds like were in the trees and flew away when you started chopping or things like that maybe you come across a rabbit that runs by you i've I've also played it played with the idea of like having different animals like wolves and bears that if you run into they might attack uh your hunter or your uh lumberjack or planter and then I have like this level system that I'm working on where there's a little bit of RPG elements with, with the different uh, characters and they'll, you know, you can increase the rate that they uh, chop trees down or plant or move and stuff like that. Um, And so I thought maybe if there's creatures that can injure you, then you'd have to um, pick a, you know, start over like your lumberjack. I don't know if he'd die or whatever, but like, gets injured on the job and has to go away and then you have to hire one from the beginning something like that so there's a lot in the works um it's gonna take a while to figure out but i'm pretty stoked for it um it's nice having a build on my phone that like i can actually sort of play yeah um so that's kind of cool um and then i've been contemplating depending on how it goes um i was on a stream one day and uh if you guys know Beardless Dev, aka NS Fletcher, he was on there and he was asking me about my game. I told him I was planning on releasing it on Google Play, and he's like, "Oh man, are you gonna do an iOS build too?" And my initial answer is no, because I have to have Xcode to be able to export onto iOS. But um, if I can get my hands on a Mac, it would be kind of cool to have a version on both. So. We'll see what happens there. But uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I also started learning the program Sunvox, which we talked about a little bit, yeah. um, which is a music production program. 
It has a really confusing interface, um, but I've been going through some tutorials just on YouTube um, by a guy named Solar Loon, and they're pretty good. Um, it's a it's a pretty complicated program, but it's like I I feel like it's actually pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited, and I also they have a version on mobile, um, which is not free. It's like six bucks, but I went ahead and got that because I thought, well, you know, if I if I don't bring my lap like if I don't have to bring my laptop everywhere and still be able to like work on things, that'd be a pretty cool way to do it. So I'm probably gonna start doing my lunchtime at work as like music time, trying to learn some music with Sunbox. Oh, fun! So yeah, that's been pretty cool. Um, if you guys are interested, uh, I'll post a link to the Sunbox tutorials in the uh, show notes as well. Um, the ones on, on YouTube, but they also have, um, pretty good documentation. It seems like, um, and I think once you kind of get in and start playing with it, it's not as, not as crazy as the interface makes it look. So anyways, that's what I've been doing. I've also been kind of brainstorming some new game ideas. Um, playing Anodyne has really kind of excited me a little bit to make a game just a solid single player experience with story. And uh, so I have kind of a a game idea I'm working on. I'm not going to really talk too much about it right now, but it's inspiring me to want to read some sci-fi. So if you have any recommendations, let me know. I was kind of thinking about a lot of people talk about um, Ender's Game. Have you read those before? Uh, yeah, I've read the first two. Did you like it? So, Ender's Game is fine. <laughs> Speaker for the Dead is, I think, one of the best science fiction books ever written. Is that the second That's one? That's the second one. Oh, really? And honestly, if you wanted to, you could skip Ender's Game and still get everything out of Speaker for the Dead. Because, in fact, Arthur... Uh, Arthur. Uh, Orson, Orson Scott, Scott Card. Card yeah. He wrote Speaker for the Dead first. Really? And then went back and wrote a novelization of Ender's Game because he thought, well, there's so much here to unpack. And he uh-huh. did a great job of unpacking Speaker for the Dead in such a way that the the character's history is understandable. Uh-huh. Um, but he went back uh, – because originally Ender's Game was a short story and he novelized it and added all of this stuff. And it's great. It's fun. It reads to me like young adult science fiction, which – Everybody has probably heard me on the podcast gripe about young adult fiction in general, and it's just ne- it's never really been for me. I don't mm-hmm. appreciate it that much. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not good. I mean, I read Ender's Game and enjoyed it. By that, do but, you mean that it's like too handholdy, or yeah, it's a little handholdy, but all, and also like the subject matter, like I don't know, it's like the way that it is. It's just I don't know. It's just a little. I don't know. Handhold is not the right word. I had the right word in my mind just a second ago. But um I don't know. And and and, and Ender's Game is fun because it's different. It's it's like an underdog sports story more than anything else, right? Okay. It's like a sports story. Yeah. You're reading about them playing this game in a in a field, you know. Yeah. Um and it's exciting and it's fun and there's drama, but like the main character Ender is a boy. He's like less than 10 years old, I think. Yeah. Maybe he's a little older, but 
But then, Speaker for the Dead, Ender is an adult. He's a grown man. Oh, gotcha. And I think it's fun because it really explores the fallout of Ender's Game very well. So, you know, knock yourself out if you want to read it. But I do believe, and maybe the internet will verify it, um, if you did some research, that you could read Speaker for the Dead without reading Ender's Game if you wanted to. Gotcha. Well, um, do, do you have other uh, sci-fi recommendations? That, oh, absolutely. I mean, I know you do. Um, I want, like, something... I don't know. Like, I read quite a few of the Foundation books. Okay. Um, and, like, everyone talks about that being as, like, one of the best sci-fi series of all time. Yeah. And I liked it, but I don't know. There was something... It was pretty dry, Maybe that's yeah. Well, they compare it. It's most often compared to Lord of the Rings, which yeah. is equally as dry. True. Um. So here's here's my thing. There's there's two separate categories of science fiction. In my mind, there is mm-hmm. like the classic golden age science fiction mm-hmm. that Foundation falls in line with. Right. That I think childhood's ma mo- or childhood's end, end falls in line with. Yeah. Um. And Dune falls in line with yeah. a couple of other things. Uh, and then there is modern science fiction, which is going to be like a little bit more cinematic, a little bit more fast-paced. The right. language is going to be more less formal. Um, you know, for example, uh, I'm reading the Expanse series of books, hmm. which has become one of my favorite science fiction series out there. It's really, really good, but it's the language is easily accessible. It reads very well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, right now, I'm also um, almost done reading Ursula K. Le Guin's The Left Hand of Darkness. Oh, nice. Which is amazing. The book is amazing, but it's very, very classic science fiction. The, right. word, the word choices, the language, it's a little bit more difficult. You know, there's so, a lot of made-up words that, I mean, the first 50 pages, well, I'd say like the first 25, 30 pages are kind of difficult to get through because, A, it's a very formal language that she uses, mm-hmm. and but also there's a lot of made-up words that I think make it really difficult to follow until you grasp what those words mean. Right. And I think Dune is kind of the same way. Like, Dune is this classic amazing science fiction saga but when you read it you're like oh this is difficult right it's like reading (laughs) reading lord of the rings in that way Mm -hmm. and i think lord of the rings is easily the most i think comparable to that era of science fiction because it came out like the same time but it's Mm -hmm. just it's high fantasy instead um but uh yeah i would say like the expanse is really good i would say anything by philip k dick is really good um, and Philip K. Dick is responsible, of course, for Blade Runner. Um, he's responsible oh. for like Total Recall. Minority Report was a story he wrote. Scanner Darkly, if you ever saw that movie, which is really good. I uh, did not see that movie. So lots of his work has been um, adapted for film. And gotcha. I would say Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is the work that Blade Runner is based off of, is pretty enjoyable. Man in the High Castle is really enjoyable and that's like an alternative world war ii history um, oh wow okay where the axis won the war and beat the allies and invaded america and all that 
type of thing. So it's, yeah. it, that's an interesting alternative history. Um, Scanner Darkly, the book is very good. Also, what was the other one I was just reading? Um, anyway, I guess that's not important. Uh, the other one that I read that was really good and it kind of has that golden age sci-fi flair, but is written a lot more recently is uh, Joe Halden's The Forever War, which I think really puts it, um, makes it time dilation easy to understand because that's that's like the whole focus yeah that's the whole focus is this guy who's from our time currently i guess more like more like born in the 70s or 80s um but from our time he goes to survive all the way through like the year 3000 and beyond because of time dilation and the whole book focuses on his disorientation every time he goes back to earth it's like changed so dramatically that he doesn't really understand it (laughs) and so he continually signs up to fight in this war that is taking place like you know light years away mm-hmm. because he goes home and he goes well this isn't my home anymore i don't understand it and he just signs up and goes back and so it's the forever war you know oh gotcha um yeah damn the god there's that's that's it's just like everything else where it's like there's so many choices that i don't i don't really know what to pick <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I'll do some research and see, but those are good suggestions. I can, yeah, I can write you a list of of my top, like my top ten, if that helps yeah, you. Yeah, that mean, would actually be cool. It just depends because it's like I definitely think that people need to read the classic science fiction because you'll be amazed at how many ideas we talk mm-hmm. about in modern science fiction that are from that golden age. Right. I mean, Isaac Asimov is single handedly responsible for pretty like coining the term robot and and bringing into mainstream consciousness this idea of automatons that can do our bidding you know right um yeah i have some others on my shelf um that i could go through i i have uh the rest of the arthur c clark's like the space odyssey series whatever it's called you don't need to read any more of those you're fine (laughs) okay (laughs) well i have them uh but yeah, I haven't read like Childhood's End or uh, what's the other one? Something Rama. Uh, oh yeah, Rendezvous with Rama is pretty good actually. Yeah, I keep hearing about that. Yeah, the first one. The first one's really enjoyable actually. I forgot about that one. I just packed that away this morning. Um, yeah, Rendezvous with Rama is pretty good. I would say Childhood's End is what really defined my interest in science fiction hmm. because. It just pr- does a very good job of presenting this what if scenario, right? You know, Maybe I'll read I f- that. I, yeah, I know you've. Go ahead. Yeah, I know you've you've told me about it quite a few times, and yeah, I've always been I would interested say, in it. But I would say that was the beginning of like where my interest in science fiction started yeah. was that book. So it's gonna it's gonna be kind of hard because it's dense and it's and it's a little bit more like, you know, wordy, I guess, in mm-hmm. that in the same way that all of those classic science fiction books are. Yeah. But the concepts is so well done. Right. Well, that's like so I read 2001 and 2010. Right. And those those are some of my favorite books. Like and part of the reason part of the reason is because their big plot points are so awesome. But yeah, like yeah. kind of the like the minutia or whatever of the rest <laughs> of the book is not that great. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
like, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, kind of okay. like reading about these really boring times of these guys in space or whatever and like nothing's really happening but then yep. all of a sudden like oh my god like something crazy happens that you never would have expected to happen and you're just like wow yeah that was mind-blowing that was like yeah. genius you know <laughs> so i get that and yeah so then you might enjoy childhood's end a lot um I know most people I've recommended it to, they struggle with it at first, and then once they get going, they really enjoy it. Well, I haven't um, been disappointed in your uh, your recommendations with, I think, let's see, Name of the Wind. Uh, absolutely. Battlefield Earth. Absolutely. Han Solo Trilogy. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's probably many others, but a lot of the reading that I've done has come from you because I remember you just lugging around uh, Wheel of Time books and stuff uh, <laughs> <laughs> when you were like 14 and I and so you were just always reading so I like thought you were a pretty good uh, opinion in that regard so, well I try and yeah. the problem is I will admit though there's so many books that um, I'm sure that I might enjoy if I could slog through it, but it's like I have a rule that I give it a hundred pages, and if I can't after a hundred pages, then I, I don't have time for it. You know? Yeah, so, I could see that. That makes sense. So there's probably a many that I have started and just stopped that I'm sure would end up being great, but um, yeah, I just can't. Right? Yeah, I know. Um, I kind of have this thing too where I like I don't actually have that many books anymore. I I purged quite a few of them over the years. Yeah. But I still haven't read all of them and it kind of makes me feel bad. Like I just, oh. I want to read all of them. Yeah. Either that or I need to get rid of them. I threw away like 500 books when I moved to my smaller house. Yeah. And there was many that I didn't get a chance to read, but I was like, well, I've had this book for 10 years. I've had this book for seven years. I'm not going to read it if I haven't yet. <laughs> and if I want to, I'll go to the library and find right, exactly. it or whatever. Yeah. And I'm doing the same thing now that I'm moving again. I found so many books that I have been sitting on my to-read shelf. And I was like, well, these are never getting read. And I just threw them away. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's funny that you brought up speaker, or, you know, the Ender's Game books, the Ender's series, because I literally just gave away my Speaker for the Dead. Oh, really? Um, yeah. yeah. That's funny. Which yeah. and see and we're talking about plot points and ideas and I guess that's kind of the difference in like Ender's Game is a sports story you know it's kind of like the same as watching like Remember the Titans or something in my opinion <laughs> or like Friday Night Lights or whatever uh-huh. uh but Speaker for the Dead it's the storyline the concept is something that I you would find in an episode of Star Trek the Next Generation right mm. it's 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 classified as like anthropological science fiction almost oh that's cool. Yeah, it like it started like a whole new genre basically. This idea of exploring cultures and f and, and like xenophobia and foreignity. Huh. It's so good, you know. Yeah. Um and it, it's like I, Speaker for the Dead is kind of similar in my mind to the book or, or, or the movie Arrival. Oh where wow. It's this, where it's this idea of I'm right uh, and don't get me wrong like there's not it's not like a time travel no. story or whatever. Yeah, sure. It's it's a story about exploring a completely and utterly foreign culture. Yeah. Which is cool. And I, <laughs> and I would say that's the first thing that really drew me – that really I think I took away from childhood's end even was there's a scene where, one of, uh, where a human being goes to a completely 
alien planet. He's the first human being to go to a completely alien planet, and he's he's so lonely. And he doesn't want for anything. You know, they take care of him. People give him company, but he ca- he doesn't even understand the architecture. He he doesn't understand the customs. Mm-hmm. He like you know to us we have rules that are really easy to explore. People generally walk on the right side of the hall. People drive on the right side of the road. Um, we exchange money for goods, and we have these like rules that are in place that. You know, if somebody who had never, ever, 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 ever watched humans interact, they might not be able to navigate, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's what Arthur C. Clarke really, really, I think, conveys in that scene is just this idea of complete alienist, alienism, you know? Yeah, that's cool. I mean, yeah. like part of the reason I want to read more sci-fi now like we've all talked about how i like reading nonfiction, um but the whole reason is that i want to try to get better at developing story oh absolutely um and and it's all been inspired by anodyne um like wanting to uh make a a story driven game and so i want to get some inspiration and what better way to do it than to peer into the minds of others who are greater than yourself at that thing. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, well, that's it, man. We're at about an hour and four and I'm think we can talk about science fiction books and video games for <laughs> another hour or two. Yeah. No, it's, it's a fun episode. I had a yeah. good time talking about this stuff. We're going to have to um, talk more off air. <laughs> yeah. I'll so. make you a list. Um, yeah, dude. That sounds great. And hey, listeners, if any of you guys have uh, recommended sci-fi books or books in general that you want to talk about, um, hit us up, share it in the Discord, email us, whatever, because um, I'd like to hear what you guys like too. So Great. Well, uh, we really thank you guys for sticking with us. A little bit of housekeeping right here at the end. If you guys want to be able to support our podcast... We really encourage you to go to our website, find the show notes, and and look at the link for Humble Bundle. Uh, we're partnered with them, and if you use our link, which is bit.ly forward slash GDQ Humble, and then you make a purchase on Humble Bundle, a little bit of that goes to support us. And right now, they have actually some really impressive bundles. Um, one of the ones that I was looking at is the Makerspace Bundle. And I have a lot of these books already, but I can guarantee you that uh, they're a lot of fun. Um, They have um, some books um, on projects that you can do with kids, you know, simple things, you know, um, like, uh, you know, little tech projects that involve soldering and things like that. Um, There is a book about um, Lego robots and stuff like that. There is a... Illustrated guide to how electricity works, which is kind of fun. Um, they have a illustrated book on making instruments from junk in your house, um, and then they have some very basic um, coding books. They've got Python for kids. They got JavaScript for kids. So if anybody's looking for a place to get started with any of that, I'm sure if it's good enough for kids, it's good enough for you. Uh, for you. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, man, if it's for kids, it's probably good enough for me. 
<laughs> and uh, they even have like some fun project books for Arduino and stuff on there. Um, so yeah, I encourage you guys to look at that. It's the Makerspace bundle. Um, I think what probably what's the top one twenty bucks gets you a shit ton of books, like more than a dozen books. Um, and there's also, um, I don't know, a, a big bundle right now. The Humble Bundle Indie. Oh fuck me. Indie Bundle 19. Sorry, guys. Um, the, a game called Halcyon 6 is on there, which is one that I've been looking at for a really long time. Uh, people say that it's kind of a cross between like Civilizations and FTL. And it's normally 20 bucks on Steam, but it is pay what you want on Humble Bundle right now. And if you go and pay what you want for that, you get Halcyon 6, Mini Metro, and a game called Requiem, which I know nothing about. But Mini Metro is one of my favorites uh, right now as well. Um but you can get that for like a dollar and you know 10 cents of that could go to us and it doesn't sound like a lot but it does help us keep the lights on help us keep our servers going um enough about humble bundle (laughs) (laughs) sorry to deep dive into that but if you guys want to hit us up on twitter you can do so we are at game devs quest you can like us on facebook facebook.com slash air podcast you can email us gdq at airpodcast.com and if you want to join our discord we got lots of people in there talking sharing progress on their projects um talking about games talking about movies talking about uh heck we were giving out headset recommendations the other day um <laughs> it's, it's all on there we you can join that by following the link uh bit.ly forward slash uh gdq discord discord thank you yeah and go ahead i was gonna say by the way um i saw the other day that google is discontinuing their goo.gl uh website which is basically bit.ly their version of that Uh, (laughs) which kind of sucks because i think that means a lot of our links in our old show notes are gonna break (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. Well, so, maybe we can go back and edit that with yeah. some new links. We'll have to look at that. But anyways, uh, yeah, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll uh, we'll catch you next time. Hope you all have a good week. Thanks so much. Cue that music. Oh, yeah. <laughs>